narrative in the, the story, as Pastor John has shared many times, it's descriptive of what's happening. And it's also a time where the writer goes into much more detail. And it's not one that really lends itself well to the verse-by-verse teaching that I prefer to do, but it's one where there's so many topics that come out of the, the uh, passages. And you see how God was using the Apostle Paul, and you see how he worked through the early church. So I want to read Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23 and... We're going to begin reading with the first verse, Acts 23, 1, and read the first 11 verses. Or excuse me, that should actually be 22, verse 30. Let's back up one more verse. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in a good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you setting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope of the, and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. And the Pharisees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the, the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, after uh, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must testify also in Rome. Heavenly Father, together we've read your word. Speak to us through your word. Amen. I've entitled the message today, Be Courageous. 
and that title, it actually comes from the, the uh, New American Standard translation, the New American Standard 2020 version, where the God stood before Paul and he said, Be courageous, stand firm. There's other verses, other translations. Some say, take courage. Take courage. While others will say, have courage. And that net is not from internet. That's from the New English translation. (laughs) That you can see the theme there is is that that you've got to be courageous through this. Get ready for what's coming. You're going to need courage to do what I've got for you to do. I need for you to take the stand in, in Rome that you've taken in Jerusalem. You're going to have to live with courage. Now, while this passage is not one that lends itself well to the verse-by-verse, I will say there is part of me that wishes we had time to do that. Because in this passage, you get a glimpse of the political and religious situation of the day. You really do. You begin to see the political wrangling that was going on and, and what was happening. The dissension within the Jewish community. You see the divisions that were there, that was happening. This gives you insight into the cultural setting of the New Testament. It's one of those passages where you go to and you get an idea of where and when and what it was like in that time when the New Testament was written. And so you get these glimpses, and there's part of me that would like to go through and do the history lesson that shows the divisions, that shows what they believed, what the different divisions believed. Some said, yes, there's spirits, there's angels. Others said, no. Someone said, yes, there's a resurrection. But you also have the scribes that they're really close to the Pharisees. And you get all these political groups going on. But you also get a really good picture of how they acted. They're in a courtroom, start screaming and yelling at each other. Have you ever seen the British Parliament when they do that? Have you seen the, that, the pictures? As an American, that, that's freaky because to me, you're supposed to take turns each presenting your idea. Nah, man, they try to shout down each other. And that's what's happening. In this political wrangling, you see them trying to shout down each other in this chaos that's happening. So you see the cultural, the political, and the religious background of the New Testament right there in this little short passage of what was going on. And Paul, Paul uses that to his advantage. Paul uses these divisions to his advantage. He intentionally divides the council so that they're fighting each other instead of him. Now, if you stop and think about it, 
that's a pretty smart thing to do, <laughs> just from his wisdom. Scott shared with us last week how, how Paul used his Roman citizenship trying to further the gospel, where he gave him the opportunity to present the gospel. He did take a stand that he had his rights, but he didn't try to base off that. He just used it for the furtherance of the gospel. Here, Paul is using the division within the political system. Remember, there was not separation of church and state. The religious laws were the civil laws. There was no difference. So it's the political and religious leaders, they're one and the same. So he intentionally divides each other. They're fighting each other to the point the Roman soldiers have to protect him. They actually thought the council, these are the political and religious leaders, were going to tear Paul physically apart. Now, I can see why my dad believes Baptists have always existed. <laughs> for those of you raised in Baptist heritage, man, we're known for being, there's, there's one book called The Battling Baptist, you know, that we're known not to be a silent people. We're known for standing up for what we believe, and, and there's this huge confusion and Paul is taken into custody. He's taken back into custody. And exactly what this looks like, we're not sure. He's, legally, he's not supposed to be bound. We know he's taken into the barracks. And in verse 16, he's still in the barracks, which is you know, where the military soldiers sleep. Exactly what was there. Did they have separate rooms? Was he just on a cot? Was he on the floor next to I don't know exactly how that looked. But you realize he's still under arrest. He's still in custody of the Roman soldiers. They have to, to protect him. He still has to stand trial before the Jews. All of this is happening. And we don't know what is going on. Just think about Paul. If we read it and we can't figure out exactly what all is happening... When it's written down for us, think about Paul. He has no idea what lies ahead. The Roman soldiers have just had to take him out of the council to protect him physically. And he is under arrest. He's stuck in a military barracks. And he needs some encouragement. He's needing encouragement of some sort. And I don't know what Paul's praying. But have you ever prayed those prayers? Lord, I did what you said to do and look what happened. You know, didn't Moses go through that? I mean, we've all gone through that at times where we do what we believe God's saying we need to do. And it feels like it gets worse. Somehow, Paul, he's needing this encouragement. See, Paul still had work to do. Paul needs to be told that what he's done in Jerusalem, he needs to do somewhere else. 
God needs to tell him, Paul, you've got things you've got to get done. If you go on to the next slide, Letty. Oh, no, there should have been two more on that one. (laughs) Paul needed to work in another place. He needed to go on. And that's when the Lord came before him and says, Be courageous, for as you have testified to the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome also. Now that's taken from my favorite translation of the Bible, New American Standard. By now you probably figured out I am an American. It is a translation. That's American English and it's more American background. It's one, it's a translation taken for people who who uh, need to do deeper study, but don't study the language necessarily of the Bible, the biblical languages. And I love that. Be courageous. Because you're going to face tough times. You're going to need the courage to do in Rome what you've done in Jerusalem. Now, my picture of Paul isn't that he was a coward. (laughs) He's already been through so much. He's already been beaten. He's already been stoned and left for dead. He's already been whipped. He's already suffered so much for the gospel. But God's telling him to be courageous. Because you're going to go right on into Rome and you're going to take that same stand. And for some reason, I just thought I'd throw a a note out here about bravery versus courage. I kind of like how this person put it. said, bravery is the ability to confront something painful, difficult, and dangerous without any fear. Courage is the ability to confront something painful, difficult, or dangerous despite fear. Courage deals with a motivation. In fact, I can ask our French brothers over here, what does courage really mean? It comes from the French and the, 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 the base word, the, the heart, to do with heart. You've got to have enough heart to stand You've got to have the heart and the motivation to go on in spite of what you're facing. Had a drill sergeant that at first I could not stand that guy. People would be falling out. We'd be marching. We'd be working. He'd he'd get to yelling, you just ain't got no heart. You just ain't got no heart. And the way he, he would turn it, the word heart into multiple syllables. Heart, you know, how he stretched it out there. You just ain't got no heart. Yeah, we do. What do you mean we don't have heart? He said, what he was telling us. You don't have the courage. You don't have the stamina. You don't have the motivation to push through the tough times. And that is what Paul was, was needing. He was needing God to say, hey, Be courageous. You're going to have to push through these tough times because what you've done in Jerusalem, you're going to have to do in Rome. 
Tough times are ahead and you've got to push through. You've got to maintain the heart of the message, the heart of what you're doing. And then when you start studying about courage, there's going to be people that say there's three different types, there's four types, there's seven types. I mean, I don't know how many different types of courage there is. I just picked one, spiritual courage. To have spiritual courage is not a reliant reliance upon ourselves it's reliance on God we don't look toward trouble and say oh yeah buddy here we go you know he used to have a professor he, he would say you know I'm not one of those dumb people that's going to stand out in the, 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 the yard and say oh a meteor and try to catch it you know who really wants to run into the path of danger how many people say, oh, a speeding car? You know, we want to protect ourselves. But God told us that we need to rely on him. God is with us. Spiritual courage is not within ourselves. It's that trusting of God. When Carolyn and I were getting ready to come to... Uh, to Hungary the first time in 1998. I was in training in California. Carolyn was in Missouri. They were staying with my parents, and, and uh, we'd already sold the house, um, getting ready to go. And there was a whole lot of questions in my mind. And one night, I'm reading from the NIV, this little Bible. This was my travel Bible that I took with me. You know, we didn't have it on cell phone in those days, and this was lightweight. It was New, Ameri New International, excuse me, New International Translation. And I'm reading in the Bible, and I come to 1 John 4.16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And I read, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And man, that word, rely, jumped out at me. For we know and rely on. This is one of the few verses that my favorite translation is the NIV. Because I had been reading it from the New American Standard. And it phrases it a little different. It says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. Now there's, besides being a typo in there, there's a little difference. We've come to believe, okay, I believe God loves me. But this belief was much stronger. It was like believing in Jesus as in to place your trust in Jesus. This is believing God as relying on God's love. And it was one of those times, it's one of those spiritual mileposts where I can say, God brought me to a new level of trust in him to rely on him and his love 
He loves my family more than I possibly can. All through history, God has encouraged his people. He's encouraged his people through history. And, and you see, it is some of the ones that really jump out at me was, was Moses and Joshua. Moses said to the people in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verses 6 and 7, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or in dread of them. I'm talking about the enemies. For the Lord your God is the one who is going with you. And he will not desert you or abandon you. This is what he says to the people. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God's going on. He goes on, then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you will give it to them as an inheritance. We go on to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 23. Then he, meaning God, speaking through Moses, but it's God that he, God, commissioned jo Joshua the son of Nun. He said, be strong and courageous, for you will bring the sons of Israel into the land, which I swore to them, I will be with you. I will be with you. Why can we go on encouraged? Because God is with us. After Moses died, here Joshua's already been told to be strong and courageous. And look what God says to him in, in the first chapter of Joshua. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not desert you nor abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which, my, which, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may achieve success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will achieve success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified nor dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, that's where you stand. That's the courage. It's not something that we just go ahead and it's like, oh, I'm really afraid. I do it anyway. It's a moving ahead in the trust and reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We can trust his love for us can move ahead think about how many times in the scripture you hear the phrase do not be afraid just, just start thinking about that what are some of the, the the people that you can think of that God said do not be afraid don't be afraid and somebody just shouted out I'm sorry what 365. 
365 who's. <laughs> the phrase, don't be afraid, is 365 times in the Bible. Okay, I haven't counted them. I'm going to take your word for it, Karen. Who did he say that to? Mary. There's one, Mary. The shepherds. David the king, thank you. Joseph, there was another one. Joshua, yeah, which I was just reading about Joshua. In fact, there he said, don't be terrified because these were really big people they were going up against. You can just think, Zacharias, Zechariah in the temple when the angel, he's in there sacrificing. And here's this guy in the temple who's not supposed to be there. Don't be afraid. Over and over, 365 times. Hey, that's a verse for every day of the week or every, every day of the year. Don't be afraid. Here, I put one in here that Jesus told to his church in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. Because your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. You have the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. You don't have to fear. We've been talking about the Apostle Paul. Paul in Corinth. We so often think about Paul of this, just this very powerful, dynamic preacher. The only physical uh, description we have of him, he was quite an ugly guy, but we don't know for sure. We don't know what he looked like, and we picture this, this guy that just, he goes in and he tells everybody about Jesus. What did he write to the church in Corinth? He says, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I also was with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Wow. Isn't that such a different picture than this, this guy that charges in to present the gospel no matter what? He went into Corinth, and he is scared to death. And the people know it. He's sharing the gospel, and he's physically shaking. He's scared. But what did he do? He shared the gospel anyway. He shared the gospel anyway. And if we go back to Acts chapter 18, we see how God strengthened the Paul in the night. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Paul by, uh, by a vision at night, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, 
for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. (laughs) Paul went in, and he wrote back to the church, and the church knew He founded that church. And you know what they wrote and said about him? He said he writes weighty letters, but his speech is contemptible. He maybe had a speech impediment or something. We don't know. But he said, this guy, when he talks, we can't stand to listen to him talk. And he's afraid. And he says, I came to you in fear and trembling, and all I did was present the gospel. He is so scared. God has to appear to him and give him a vision at night and say, don't be afraid any longer. You keep proclaiming. You keep preaching. Because I've got many people in this city. Hey, they weren't saved yet, but they were already God's people. God already knew what was happening In today's passage, we see how God was reassuring Paul that he still had work to do. What he had done in Jerusalem, he needed to do in Rome. By saying that he needed courage, he's warning Paul that danger is ahead. He's going to be facing dangerous times. He's going to be facing difficulties. Rome was not a good place for Christians or Jews. And here he was, a Jewish Christian. He needed to be courageous. So God's saying, be courageous. He needed to face the dangers in the assurance that God was with him. And that's how he was moving ahead. Earlier I shared how how God used a different translation to really teach me that I need to rely on His love. I can trust it. Carolyn and I right now, we're facing another time where God is saying, you need to have courage. Carolyn and I are entering a new stage of ministry where where God's been working with us now for a number of months of saying, give me everything. Surrender everything to me. And it was last Sunday, I was able to journal, Lord, I give you everything. I give you everything. And then I wrote those words, and I sat at my desk, my head down, And I just felt ripped apart. So you said something about how I didn't seem quite myself last Sunday because I just hurt. I came last Sunday morning feeling of things I love. It's like, God, it's yours. What what is it you want? And I guess I was I was picturing myself kind of holding my hands up to God, you know, giving him everything and This morning I was sitting and praying, Lord, I've given you everything. And then he tells me this morning, it's like, open your hand. I had a vision of just 
opening the hand. And I want to illustrate it today. <sighs> you know, sometimes we want to give things up. And we want to do it to where it's like, okay, we want to hang on to part of it. You know, we, we, wanna, we don't want to give it all up. And this morning I felt like God was saying, open your hand. Open your hand. And only that which is most important is what's going to stay. I felt like God was saying, let go of everything. And trust me. And those are difficult and painful times. And now that I get to sweep up the floor here, son, <laughs> many, many times in our lives, we're asked to give up things that are important to us. And it's been now a while that I've been facing question and issues and I want to thank Pastor John for praying with me through it and John and Amanda for their support this week as we met and um, we feel like, Carolyn and I feel like we need to step out of the pastoral role. We don't feel like God's saying leave the church and we don't know exactly what that holds I just want to say thank you, John and Amanda, for being there for us. As I feel ripped apart. From the day this church started, I've been honest. that This isn't a role that I'm comfortable with. And it's been a role that God has forced me to ask every day, is this what you want? Because Carolyn and I were so often working with, not with believers, but we work primarily in the coffee houses and, and with lost people and direct uh, engagement with those who are not believers yet. Where this one was more of a gathering of believers, people who are coming from other countries and a very different role for us in the coming weeks we'll be working out exactly what that looks like you know fortunately uh, Scott has already been uh, starting to fill in the pulpit Helsel has begun to to fill in there and uh, as Pastor John continues to work with the leadership team and exactly what it looks like you know, in reality, I don't do that much except stand here, call myself pastor, and preach. <laughs> we don't know exactly how it's going to work out. But there's something I do know. God is still in control. This isn't my church. It's his and, and Pastor John, I don't know how many times that you've said this week, God loves the church more than we do. We were even talking about this morning. God loves you more than we can. 
we can rely on his love. And that which he calls us to do is what's going to be best for his church and for his kingdom. And now I've shared with you a very personal message, some of our testimony and what and what God's been calling us and speaking to us about. But now I'm going to flip that question back to you or turn a question to you and ask you, what is God asking you to have the courage to do? Are you trying to hang on to something that God's saying, open your hand? Has God been asking you to do something where you've been thinking, God, I really don't want to do that. What is it he's asking of you? For students, I know sometimes it can be so hard to share about Jesus when you're in the classroom or with that professor who is an atheist or anti and very strong anti-Christian. I don't know what God's speaking to you about. But you know what? I do know that most Christians are wrestling with this question. What's God asking me to do? What is it he's saying? Have the courage to trust me. Have the courage to rely on my love because you can rely on his love. He loves you more than you are humanly possible to understand. He loves this church more than we can understand. I'm going to ask our musicians to come as we do have an invitation. I'm going to ask that you really wrestle with that question. Ask yourself, what's God saying to me? What is it I need to have the courage to do? And I'm going to ask you to have the courage to share that with our church. I'll be here. Pastor John is here. I'm going to ask that we also all stand. Part of that standing is just simply convenience. It's easier to slip out. It's easier to get past people uh, in your row. Let's stand and sing, and I'm going to ask that whatever God's asking you to do, whatever he's laying on your heart, to share it with the church this morning.